0: everybody, Tony Marcolini, welcome to the podcast It May Interest You to Know. I'm joined today by my co-host Seamus McDonough and our special guest today, uh, you will know as uh, from the Blue Oyster Cult, a very famous band, uh, and he is a well-established musician, uh, just the kind of creative person we love to talk to here. Uh, So welcome Richie Castellano.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Richie, for
2: (laughs) being here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I mean I I know everybody who uh is familiar with your work is going to want to jump right into the blue oyster cult but I thought before we give them the good stuff maybe we could start back from the beginning um you're very well educated in music which I think is somewhat uncommon uh for the level of education you've you've gone through uh, and I'm not putting down musicians by any you know, by any means, I I just mean I think most of them have let's say an affinity for music from when they're young. They take music lessons, but you you've gotten a master's in music, which means yeah. you're, you're you're pretty high up there in terms of education.
1: Um, I I was not planning on having a a master's degree in music. I was somewhat coerced into it <laughs> because uh, when I went to college, I went to Purchase College. They have a great music program the conservatory of music there and when i went i sort of butt heads with my dad before going to college because he really wanted me to study guitar playing and and jazz guitar
0: well your dad you have i mean you have a long history of music in your family right yeah, yeah yeah my
1: dad's a phenomenal musician he plays guitar He's one of the best singers I've ever heard. He was a member of the band, the Chambers brothers. If you've ever heard of that band, Uh, they had that huge hit time, which is in every movie about the sixties and seventies. You know, every like Vietnam era movie has that, that song time in it. Uh, And he was a member of that band in the early seventies. He toured with them. Uh, So yeah, he was a huge inspiration on me, but when I went to college, I sort of got interested in production. I'm, My uncle, who's also a phenomenal musician, is a bass player, he got me into recording. And um, I realized I was very passionate about recording and production. And I also was fortunate enough to meet Ron Bumblefoot Thal when I was a teenager who let me intern with him at his studio. And that further fueled that interest in production. Ron is one, could possibly be the best guitar player in the world but he and i got along on a production level that's all we wanted to talk about i'd never i don't think i ever asked ron a single guitar question it was always like oh how do you get the sound uh what are you doing your vocals here how do you get that drum sound those are the types of questions i asked him so when i was 18 years old getting ready to go to college my dad thought oh you're going to go study guitar playing and i said no i, I want to study music production how to record arrange you know write all that stuff so um we kind of made a compromise where i yeah. I studied music production as my major, but I was still allowed to enroll in jazz classes, jazz you know performance classes. So I was sort of majoring in music production and composition and minoring in performance. And I got to do a lot of playing in college. i i I played in these uh, all these jazz classes, and I, I had my own rock band in college. So it it wasn't like I was only stuck behind a computer the whole time, and then uh, I never having the opportunity to go to a school where all of the classes are music based. I mean, I went to a great music high school here on Staten Island, a high school called Curtis High School, which had an excellent music program, but even that was only like three periods of music a day, which is a lot. But when I got to college, I'm like, wait a minute, I get to do music all day every day. That's amazing, and I kind of threw myself into it and was very interested and in, and i didn't want to do anything else i didn't want to party i didn't want to uh you know hang out i wanted to do music all the time i was i thought wow this is the greatest thing ever and i did so at that level to the point where I, my junior year or my third year of college what was supposed to be my junior year i got a letter from the registrar saying dear senior welcome back and i asked my advisor who's who's become a very good friend of mine, uh, Joe Ferry, a uh, very amazing music producer. He, He's
0: Grammy nominated, right? Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes he is. And I told him, I said, "Joe, I just got a letter. I'm coming back to be a junior, but I got a letter from the school saying, "Dear senior." And he said, "You idiot, you took too many classes. Now you have to leave." <laughs> so I, I said, "Oh no." He said, "Yeah, you 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 have like you skipped the junior year completely because you were so excited about doing music that i was taking like 28 credits a semester because i was just like oh this is awesome i get to oh yeah i want to take a midi class i want to take a digital audio class i want to take a film scoring class like to me the whole thing felt like summer camp it didn't feel like school it was mm-hmm. like this is the greatest thing ever i'm learning all the things that are i'm interested in so he said now you got to leave he said I'll, I'll tell you what he goes don't leave take the master's program you know like like enroll in the master's program you're you're here You'll, you'll be here for one extra year instead of two extra years and you'll you'll leave with a master's degree and also I think um they were sort of grooming me to be a professor there and yeah, yeah I and I did it and the the uh, the undergrad I mean the the graduate program was sort of uh, flexible in the fact that it was a composition program but it had a lot of different things in it like there were a lot of uh, uh I studied some classical composition classes I was doing recording sessions I was still doing production stuff pop stuff it was it was very it was sort of it was very flexible the way that it was structured but I ended up graduating from that in a year and a half so I skipped a little bit of that too so i left Purchase college after four and a half years with a master's degree so I thought that was i mean i mean it's not like uh you need a master's degree to be in a rock band but um <laughs> You know, it's nice to have if I decide to go back into teaching at some point.
0: No, sure. I, I mean, you must have had the past. I know your family is has a long history in the music field. Certainly, you know, your dad, you, like you said, played uh, in, a, in this very established band. He's got a store, like a guitar store on Staten Island. Yep. Very well known. Um, and I think his father before him. So, I mean, you definitely have a musically inclined family.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I'm a fifth generation musician um going back to my great-grandfather uh whose name was frank he played a little uh i'm sorry my great-great-grandfather he i think he was also a frank he played a little bit of guitar then his son he played he was a multi-instrumentalist he played um violin uh, upright bass he I i think he was a conductor in fact I have uh, his baton here in my recording studio. This is my <laughs> great grandfather's baton that he used for conducting. And uh, that was a gift to me from my grandfather. Mm. And then his son, who was my grandfather, Phil, he was a jazz bass player and I have his big upright bass upstairs in my living room, mm. uh, which is pretty cool. And then his two sons, my dad, John, is a you know, R&B, blues guitar player and, my uncle phil who is a rock bass player and and i'm and and then there's me
0: well so it's definitively in the blood uh of your families i mean i'm guessing then you connected immediately like from somebody from a young child you immediately were drawn towards music
1: i mean i have two sisters and we're all involved in music in in some way or another my older sister actually runs my dad's music store my older sister nicole and um my younger sister is a secret musician she doesn't want anybody to know it's a a big (laughs) secret like she she used to play trumpet uh in in her college pep band and i think she got a scholarship because of her trumpet playing she's phenomenal she actually played multiple shows for the pep band at madison square garden and i never have played at madison square garden so she's actually a more successful musician than me even though she's an accountant that doesn't tell anybody she can play music
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's nice to perform at Madison Square Garden. You have done it, right? Actually, about about twenty times fighting. No, about fifteen times fighting. But also uh, with it, Tony, and I went to, went to St John's University in Staten Island, and uh, there frater- was an a fraternity called Sigma Chi Epsilon, and they asked us to do a halftime routine for the New York Knicks. We were called the Blues Brothers East, so we got to. I was a professional dancer.
1: and tony you performed in madison square garden as well
0: yes no no, not unless you count going to watch the rangers
1: (laughs) so am i I, I the only person that hasn't performed at madison square garden is that what this is (laughs) because i'm the only person
2: (laughs) the unique unique club (laughs) <sighs> uh, wow! Yeah. It's an honor to talk to you, Richie. Oh my God, I'm just in awe. I'm in all in awe. Thank you Who so much. Want to be a rock star, a rock star. Seamus
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Anything other than a comedian is good for you.
2: <laughs> thank you, Tony. <laughs> well, I
0: tease Seamus because he has a series of the same jokes he tells, and none of them are good. Uh, he's he's working on improving them.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna leave it up to Richie to, to the judge. <laughs> I-, I like jokes. It's all good yeah yeah there's a new restaurant on our block called uh called uh um karma i go in there no menus everyone just gets what they deserve <laughs> that's pretty good that's good
0: what did I, I warned you before we went on there not it, right. because i said once you encourage them they'll keep coming and they don't get any better he starts at the pinnacle and then we work out.
2: <laughs> descending descending <laughs> Already. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. Well, I wanted to talk. Then you did do some work. You you mentioned him. I think uh, he's really a Grammy-nominated producer, right? Um, Joe, Joe Ferry. Yeah, Joe Ferry. Uh, and you did some work with him, independent of being in school. Did you not? Did he? Did you not work on an album with him?
1: Oh yeah, I worked for I worked for his label. He was I worked for his sort of production company that we did these oddball tri- tribute albums for various labels and uh that was that was cool because that taught me how to turn projects around quickly which i'm not great at in my personal projects you know i take i take a long time to finish things but um that was cool like we did these oddball tributes to um what do we do we did like a tribute to ozzy osbourne a tribute to the grateful dead we did Eminem, we and we would basically <laughs> do these. We would do these like weird genre bending tributes. Like we did lounge tributes to uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Eminem. So we did loungy versions of all that <laughs> stuff. I, I mean, I don't know if anybody bought them, but they were fun to make.
2: <laughs> That's all that counts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well uh and then after that i mean i think you started for blue oyster cult doing some technical work no
1: yeah i you know i told you i was in college studying production and a friend of my family's is a guy named steve Lissera who is a fantastic not only a fantastic human he's a great engineer and he's also a columnist for mix magazine which is an audio publication for audio geeks like myself. And uh, he he was working as Blue Oyster Cult sound engineer. He still is, actually. And there was a situation that came up. A lot of the big theme you're going to hear when I talk about Blue Oyster Cult is there are things that come up last minute and people scramble. So um, there was a situation that came up last minute where uh, Steve couldn't make a gig and his normal sub couldn't, do it either so they were thinking who can we get and they and steve knew i was in college studying audio i'd been doing live sound i worked live sound as a you know part-time job while i was in high school and i did live sound for my dad's wedding band so i, I was familiar <laughs> with it and um he called me up one day while i was you know in college i was 20 years old and he said hey what are you doing this weekend i said well on sunday i'm i'm doing sound for a, a wedding for my dad's band and he says what about friday and saturday i said oh i'm actually free and he asked me how would you like to do sound for blue oyster cult and i said, <laughs> I, said I said f yeah that's what i said to him on the, on the phone and uh and and yeah and, and i i went and i i met the guys for the first time and i got to mix on these giant consoles and these huge PA systems and I just I think because I'd been doing weddings and I'd been asked by so many people's grandparents and aunts could you lower it a little bit we're having trouble talking over here I i, I took out all that frustration I was having on weddings on Blue Oyster Cult and I made it the most painfully loud show ever and the guys in the band were like yeah <laughs> 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 so so they, they just kept they kept using me as a sub And i loved it because every few weeks i would get a call from them and i get to go on this little rock and roll vacation for a weekend and go to a you know some weird country some weird i'm sorry some weird state in the middle of the country that i've never been to and uh see what it's like to live in different parts of the country and you know mix rock shows and meet people and hang out with rock stars it was really fun
0: and then eventually you transitioned into uh playing with the band how, how did that happen
1: so they about four years after i start i met them and i was sort of working for them as a sub i this is a story i, I i'm gonna try to tell the i've gotten good at telling the story uh <laughs> like, like like you with Seamus and the jokes you have to like kind of polish it a little bit so <laughs> i'll try i'll try to give you the the uh because i can ramble with this one um <laughs> it actually happened because of a video game uh so when they say video games are bad for you that's not necessarily true (laughs) um i did a tour in 2003 of germany with the band as a substitute sound guy and me and eric bloom the lead singer of blue oyster cult never really uh hung out never really bonded but here we are stuck on a tour bus together and we found out we had similar interests uh, mm. one of which being video games. And when we got home from the tour, we linked up and we started playing an online video game together. So it was me and all my friends and Eric from to <laughs> called this rock star playing yeah. this video game together. And it was really cool. And one day in the video game that we're playing, I said to him, there's like the little chat and you have a character and a little chat bubble comes out of your, your character's mouth. I said, Eric, my band is doing the whole beatles rubber soul album you know this weekend in staten island you want to come sit in with us and he's like yeah i'll come so he came down to staten island we were playing at this tiny club and he sat in with us and and that that gig he saw me play really for the first time i played guitar i played bass i sang Hmm. and uh a few weeks later he uh there was a situation that came up where the bass player in blue oyster called got an opportunity to play with Queen and he had to take it. And he kind of was put in a funny position where he had to take the gig immediately. And that left Blue Oyster Cult with no bass player for the next week's worth of gigs. Mm. So, you know, Eric asked me if I could do it, if I could fill in. And I did it and I had to learn like something like 22 songs in four days. And, And And I did it
0: were you a fan of, i mean of the music and the and the band before any of the well
1: ones? i i didn't know that much blue oyster cult when i when i was 20 and i got asked to mix them so i bought like a greatest hits and i started studying it and then when i got to the gig to mix them their tour manager said throw that out they don't sound like the records make them sound like a big mean rock band i said okay fine uh but from mixing them on dozens of shows I knew the songs already kind of like i was Mm. familiar with them i they were in Mm. my head so all i had to really do was focus in on what the bass player was doing and you know in terms of parts and vocals so that so it was very helpful that i already had heard most of these songs several times
2: Mm.
1: yeah so i did that we i had my first gig in front of a hardcore audience in vegas and uh every every week they would ask me hey can you do next weekend hey can you do next weekend <laughs> and it went on like that for a few months until finally uh I was like would you guys like me to join the band and they were like yeah sure why not so <laughs> and uh yeah and then uh I played bass with them for about two years and then uh the original member Alan Lanier who played keyboards and guitar he retired from the road So they, instead of getting someone to double, which is kind of tricky to find someone that can play two instruments, it's easier to get someone who can play one instrument. So they moved me over to keyboards and guitar and just hired another bass player. And yeah, and then I've been doing that since... I joined the band in 2004. I've been on guitar and key since 2006.
0: Mm. And you've been touring, right?
1: Yeah, we're back. Um, We... We played a few shows during the lockdown, but we're back now touring at a fairly regular schedule.
2: Hmm.
0: I mean, how was it during COVID? I mean, you had to be uh, pretty slow, I would think. It was
1: slow. It was slow. um, And the gigs were difficult. You know, there were lots of masking requirements. And it's very easy to forget and sort of, you know, oh, right, I'm supposed to have a mask here. Oh, I can't and because when you play you just want to play and go back into your routine but there's always like a little tweak it's it it's gotten easier to deal with now um so uh, but one thing that was great about the like not great but a thing i was able to do during the lockdown is i got to do these live stream shows which ended up being so much fun and i missed doing them terribly uh there were there were a bunch of people that kind of formed this uh like club like a community of a and I did a show every Sunday afternoon and it was like a hang you know what i mean like people mm-hmm. people just were not even really listening to what I was doing, they were making jokes for each other and you know asking about oh how you know how, how's your wife doing all this stuff and mm-hmm. uh and it became this really nice community of people and i and I just felt like I was going to a gig every Sunday even though it was in my my house so i i did that until basically the blue oyster cult schedule picked up again to the point where i couldn't do it anymore but i i hope to go back to doing more of those because they were so much fun and with blue oyster cult i love playing those gigs but you know um it's nice being able to sing more and play some more lead guitar uh which i get plenty of opportunities to do in blue oyster cult but with the um the live stream it's like three hours of that You know so it was good for me musically it definitely improved my playing and singing and uh in in terms of just quality and stamina you know so i'm very grateful to the people that watched those live streams i mean that really kept me going during the pandemic and it was something to look forward to it was Mm. was like it was so great and i'm grateful for them and grateful for the technology that allows us to do things like that
2: Mm. totally Beautiful and, and and I have actually
1: loved lockdown. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I I, uh, I think I did okay in lockdown. A lot of people. I I mean I'm okay with being in my studio working. And uh, the the band actually kept me very busy during that period because we produced. I think it was six live Blu-rays and a new album. And we did that. We finished all of those projects during lockdown. So I was, I had a full plate.
2: I uh, I, go ahead. No,
0: no, no, you go.
2: Okay. So I have a, I have a friend, a a very wise guy, a mentor to me, and he said he he was watching one of the YouTube channels or somewhere. And and one of the things that they recommended by some guru from India, from India (laughs) was to walk and talk with a friend. As long as you have someone to communicate with, uh, that's that's good for your for your mental uh, for your, for your uh... yeah one yeah no yeah I,
1: I I agree with that every day during lockdown I would call my friend and musical partner Andy Ascalis who is probably the most talented person I've ever met and wow. um he and I would just talk about anything. Just it was a it was just a human connection and 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 he and his wonderful wife brandy would check in on me during pandemic and make sure everything was okay and um you know i'm wearing this band geek hat right now that's uh mine and andy's project uh band geek we have a, a youtube band that does some interesting uh covers and some funny stuff we'll do everything from uh from wilson phillips to Emerson Lake and Palmer <laughs> we're, 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 we, we, we don't care what we play. We, we just have fun yeah. playing music. so um, yeah, I totally agree with that. As, you know, as long as you can have some sort of like human connection,
2: mm. it
1: really helps to get through times like that.
2: Totally, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, mm. I mean, I want to get into the band geek and your YouTube channel, but first, I, I really want to know how the creative process looks for you. I mean, is it something where you do a lot of writing, uh, writing yeah. music? I mean, is that something where you just sit down and it comes to you? Do you need to, like, walk the dog or hum, uh, you know, meditate? Uh, I mean, is there a process for you or it's just natural? Or you're in the shower and suddenly, you know, there it is.
1: One of the things that I, had, that I thought was a valuable thing I learned in college was it doesn't matter if you're inspired or not. You need to be able to write immediately like you need to be if you're going to make your living doing the, doing writing when someone gives you an assignment you have to be able to deliver the goods instantly and that's and and they did that they taught us that by giving us constant writing assignments okay this week you're going to write a song with two chords next week you're going to write a song about this All right you're going to write a song that only has one section in it you know it's like they would just give us these little assignments that kept us going kept us going so i'm able to i think i can write on command i'm not saying it's good what i write on command but if I, for example i do some side work for um this company that makes photo booths right and they'll tell me they'll call me up and say okay we're going to this convention tomorrow and we found out that the music we were using uh we can't use it because of licensing issues so we need you to write seven pieces of music in these genres by tomorrow Mm, and 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 i can do it because the 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 creative trick with deadlines right is that the first idea that pops into your head that's it right like when i'm I'm not talking about like creating your masterpiece i'm talking about when you're writing on a deadline right the first thing that pops into your head you have you can't say no it's not good no that's not good that's not good because then you'll sit there doubting yourself for hours and never meet the assignment like if if you have to write all this stuff overnight the first idea that pops into your head is the idea see it to its conclusion and then move on to the next thing that's how i treat deadline stuff i like with other things like music uh writing my original stuff uh that isn't going to be in a photo booth the next day uh i (laughs) like like so many other musicians if i'm just uh, noodling around the guitar or if i'm taking a walk and i think of something uh this is the greatest thing ever because you just sing the idea into the phone and now I have a library of things. So if someone says, oh, we need to write a song for this, or I'm like, oh, I, I would like to write something. I can go and I have hundreds of riffs, lyrical ideas that I can go to. I rarely look at them, uh, mm-hmm. but it's good if you get stuck, just to always have like a stockpile of things to go to. Like anytime, anytime you hear like a turn of phrase, oh, that's interesting. Let me just sing that to my phone, okay. Or you stumble upon something on an instrument no matter what instrument it is like sometimes i'll pick up a bass and just the way i pick it up and the way it's sitting it forces me to play something that's different than i would normally play or it's a mistake and hey wow that was an interesting mistake Mm. okay let's do that in fact the um i'm working on a new album right now a solo album it's actually a musical and the first piece of music in it the first theme was something that happened by accident I put my just like drop my hands on the piano and played like three chords. Mm. Wasn't even thinking about that. I said, Whoa, what was that? <laughs> and I, I had to go back and like learn. Uh, it was something I couldn't play. I would never have played it. If I was mm. thinking I just kind of randomly my hands down and I said, Whoa, that, that was cool. And I, I had to f- figure out that sort of random thing I just played and then wrote extensions to that. So the whole opening piece of music for this musical came from a mistake that i saw through to extension you know what i mean
0: well i love that
1: yeah wow and also i i have it's difficult writing with with other people i know some people like that i i'm not great at um okay let's sit together and write a song right Mm -hmm. i like it when someone comes to me i have most of this song done or i have this one part can Mm -hmm. you can you see this through Right. It's like I, I don't like the, the process of and I've I've tried it several times with very talented writers. It's you sit across from them at, at, at a, a table and we both have guitars and you go. No. Like, you, you, you go, no. OK, <laughs> well, well, what do you got? <laughs> Nothing. I, I like it because I just feel like most people, if you could do that, great. But most people, you know, have to come to inspiration or, you know, in their own way with their own process mm. and like that little germ of an idea seed of an idea that comes to you however it comes to you and then when you get stuck that's a good time to bring it to somebody like Mm -hmm. on the newest blue oyster cult album um eric had a couple of songs that he said and and they were and he had great ideas like they were great ideas he said "I, i just don't know where this goes when someone says that to me that's like oh now i can do my thing because we have the starting material right we have the one little thing whether it be me accidentally putting the uh (laughs) the hands down the keyboard or somebody coming up with a riff or someone saying i want to write a song where we say this phrase right that sort of lets me finish something and finishing songs i feel like that's a different skill because a lot of people have unfinished songs right i i love that i love saying okay what do you got that's unfinished? Let me look at this from a different perspective, and maybe together we can finish this idea. And that's a lot of how how Eric and I worked on the latest Blue Oyster Cult album. Is he would say, Oh, what if we did something like this? And I'd be like, That's awesome. And then I would just sort of like run with it. And and he was very encouraging. And he kept me on the rails. He'd be like, Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what Blue Oyster Cult would do. Come back. <laughs> Come back to us. You know? And uh and then he'd go, okay, yeah, that's good. And he would sort of, like, keep me guided. But, like, the songs that he and I co-wrote came from these, like, initial ideas he had that we basically saw through, saw to the end.
2: Mm. Wow. Yeah, inspiration just comes when it comes. You can't manage it, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we, so we we have an album that came out about a year ago. It's called The Symbol Remains. It's the first Blue Oyster Cult album I've gotten to to participate in, and it's, was a huge honor for me to to do it uh the idea of writing songs for that was very daunting because Mm. there's a lot of this is a band that has a lot of songs that sound very different right um godzilla and Burning for you sound like it could be two different bands Mm. even though they're both songs written by the same guy you know what i mean they sound like they could be two different bands they could be and um there's a lot of you know genre mixing and and the guys really have a, a very diverse catalog. So when you write a song for this band, there's inevitably be, inevitably gonna be a fan that goes, that's not what this band sounds like. Well to them. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they're w- well, what what era are you referring to? You know, yeah. like what song are you referring to? I mm-hmm. I I try to take inspiration from different songs that i've heard that i I enjoyed playing uh, and the songs that i contributed to the album like for example there's a song on the album called the return of saint cecilia and to me i was trying to write something along the lines of a a, they have a song called seven screaming disbusters uh that i really love and I was trying to write in that feel i have another song called uh, me 262 which i um it's from the their earlier albums and the and i i was just that was that was the uh, inspiration that was the blueprint for that song now whether it came out like those songs that's debatable but that was the initial idea and then there's another song i wrote for that album called the alchemist and that song was interesting because i tried to do it almost like a blue oyster cult by the numbers kind of experiment where Uh i now i took a few different songs that they have like there's one song they have that i love called flaming telepaths and i tried to get that sort of groove going with it and then they have other songs where they go to drastically different middle sections like Don't Fear the Reaper goes to a drastically different middle section than the rest of the band. They have a song called Harvest Moon that does the same thing. And I like that. So I uh I tried to put a little bit of that in there. And lyrically their their one of their chief lyricists was a guy named Sandy Perlman and I always read how he was uh inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. So I went on uh amazon and i bought a book of hp lovecraft short stories i opened yeah. it up to the first page and it said the alchemist so i read the alchemist and i said okay now let's make this a song and that's yeah. where the lyrics and that's what the lyrics came from <laughs> and, and for like a very kind of like analytical way to do it it actually came out pretty cool and uh you know I, i'm really thrilled with uh that 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 song got to be on the album mm, wonderful wonderful <laughs>
0: let's talk about your youtube channel How did
1: that start? I was in, uh, when I first moved over to guitar and keyboards with Blue Oyster Cult, there was a guy who we got on bass. His name is Rudy Sarzo. He is a very famous bass player. He's been in uh, Quiet Riot, White Snake. He was in Ozzy Osbourne's band. Uh, He is one of the top metal bass players around. And not only that, He's one of the smartest and kindest people I've ever met in my life, mm-hmm. and he was just so incredible with what he shared with me. I just remember it vividly. One day we're in a, a a big van or like one of these like you know casino buses, and he said to me, "Hey Richie, what's on your YouTube channel?" I said, eh, "Not much. I got some you know old gigs and whatnot," and he said, "You're making a big mistake." He said, "If you don't have a YouTube channel, you don't exist. That's what he said to me, and that stuck with me and i and I went, Oh man, I'm like really behind the ball on this. So I just started putting content on youtube and the other thing is he rudy was a he's a genius, and he was always studying new things on his laptop on the road. he was learning three d animation modeling he was learning uh video editing special effects he was just interested in things so i said rudy can you teach me how to do video editing he said yeah sure so like one day on the road i went to his hotel room took my laptop out and he said here's how you use sony vegas to edit and he gave he gave me the skill to do that he taught me everything i needed to know and then when i got interested in you know i want to do special effects on this video i did this i had this one thing on my youtube channel Called Tiger's Fang. It's like a spoof Kung Fu movie, and even though it's not musically related, I learned so many skills from doing those things that transferred over to music. It was crazy. But uh, I was like, we're sitting in an airport together. I said, Rudy, I need to chop this guy's head off. How do I do that? <laughs> and in, in an airport, he's like, okay, yeah. Create a new layer. Now add some blood. Okay, yeah. And now ro- roll his head out of frame. And we're in, you know, we're we're in the airport making like some crazy, you know gory kung fu scene and <laughs> and and he just knew how to do it all that stuff and i i always call him up whenever i have a, a problem or or a question about any of these things like how do i do this how do i do this and he's just very knowledgeable and and very willing to share information and and he like meeting him was very important very pivotal to me mm-hmm. and uh so i i had this youtube thing and it, it was good i mean people were watching it i didn't have great numbers on it but anybody who starts a youtube channel knows that it it really stinks in the beginning you know you 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 spend weeks editing a video and then you have like 200 people that watch it and you go okay mm-hmm. great so it really feels like diminishing returns in the beginning i got a little push because i participated in this thing called the queen extravaganza which was a official officially sanctioned queen tribute band that they were putting together Mm. um i didn't really know much about it all i knew is that there was a contest for how well you could play queen music and i love playing queen music (laughs) so i was like yeah i want to i want to enter this so i entered it and uh i I got to fly out to la and and uh audition at the foo fighters studio which was pretty cool Mm. and i got to meet roger taylor and ultimately, um, I didn't get that, which I was bummed about at the time. But uh, in hindsight, I I think it w- I'm not so bummed about it. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I was sort of like, I said, "Man, I didn't get it." I got to beat Roger Taylor, and I had all these like mixed emotions about it. And I decided to like channel all that stuff into making a video. I made this Bohemian Rhapsody cover video where i played all the parts mm. and uh i posted that and that one went viral in that the youtube counter froze back in the day when you'd get too many views on something youtube would freeze your numbers at 300 and wouldn't <laughs> let they wouldn't let you get any more views until they can verify that you weren't using like a bot to to scam mm. the views so that video got me a lot of a lot of attention got me a lot of views got me a lot of subscribers you know i was on uh they had me on fox tv i did all these different uh interviews and i got gigs from it it was great uh, brian may reposted it and put it on his website which i kind of cried over uh so <laughs> it was it, it was really cool and then i decided to build on that i did more i, I realized okay this is what people want to see they really want to see music stuff and kind of like trickier music pieces like being Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. So I did more things like that. And then I, uh, for a brief period of time, I took a, a straight day job and I was commuting to this job and I was listening to podcasts while I was doing that. And like everybody who has started a podcast, you listen to a few podcasts, you go, I can do this. <laughs> listen to these guys i could do this i can you know this is so easy um, we can do that
2: tony we can do it tony we'll
0: yeah. Try. We'll exactly.
1: Try. Exactly. yeah exactly exactly what happens <laughs> so um i started this podcast called band geek and i just wanted it to be a podcast where me and my friends talk about who are musicians band bands <laughs> who are musicians talk about geeky things like video games comic books and movies and then I quickly realized that no one cares what we think about that sort of stuff they want to hear musicians talk about music so uh the guy who was on the network that we were that hosted our show um guy named Rob Sprantz a good friend of mine he said you really need to play music on your show I said I don't want to do that. It's too much work with the editing and the mixing. He said, "Yeah, but no one cares about a bunch of musicians talking around, you know, sitting around talking about video games. They want to see you play music." So, we put up like one video of us playing a song, and that immediately like dwarfed all of the stuff we were doing in terms of audience response. So, we kind of slowly pivoted away from a traditional podcast to pretty much like a a band that plays songs on YouTube and we we do it's not straight up covers like we'll do we'll do original sometimes or we'll do something that's sort of like a comedy video uh but it's all music focused so uh that's what band geek is it's basically me and my friends and whoever guests we can get uh we'll we'll play music and there's always sort of like we we never take ourselves too seriously there's always something it it all it it always just felt like. Kind of weird to me watching videos or people play and and it's very serious like people like grilling the camera and giving like the looks like that's cool but like for me i never felt uh authentic doing that like i'm kind of a silly guy you know so i that the band geek thing is like basically i i'm very fortunate to know uh a lot of very talented people but if anybody has ever toured with a band you know that musicians are very silly we spend a lot of the time cracking jokes and and telling inappropriate stories to each other you know what I mean <laughs> so um, I, I, I kind of wanted to play that up a little bit and and put that into what we were doing I, I you know it's great to just be able to show a video of someone playing but if you can put a little bit of your personality into it isn't that better that's just that's just my philosophy behind it
2: Love it.
0: So now I know your wife sometimes appears uh, on your videos, and I think you would even do some singing with her band, right? She, your wife, has a band.
1: Uh, my ex-wife.
0: I'm okay. oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay.
1: That's okay. We're we are uh, we are f- still playing together. We are still very friendly. Uh, it's all right. The yeah, she. In fact, um, after we got divorced, she did like five more videos with us. We're, we're still playing together. Uh, yeah, she is. One of the best singers I've ever worked with, uh, I I basically say that she's like a vocal ninja because she can <laughs> sing anything. She could sing jazz, classical, heavy metal, rock. Um, we, for example, like we did this cover of a Yes song called Close to the Edge, which a lot of people, like, you know, in, in classical music, there are certain uh, like pieces that are, if you could play this piece, if you could play the well-tempered clavier by Bach, then you, you're you really good. You know, yeah. uh, Close to the Edge is like one of those sort of barometers for for mm-hmm. ability for rock bands. Like, oh, if you could play Close to the Edge, like, whoa. So uh, we did Close to the Edge on our, because we're jerks, and we wanted to show off a little <laughs> bit. And we, we did Close to the Edge on our, our YouTube channel. And um, it was so funny because all the guys in the band were sweating bullets. Like, we're weeks ahead of time we're writing charts we're talking oh ah, measure 42 is that a b flat or a b you know like we're we're like agonizing over it she learned the whole thing the day before <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm like you gotta learn this now like you, you don't want to be on pitch, like yeah 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 she did it the day before and came in and nailed it so that's that's just to tell you the level she's on
0: mm. cool well mm. Tell me, where can somebody go to find out uh, more about you, more about the band, to see where you're touring?
1: I have a website. It's called RichieCastellano.com. And I have all of my tour dates on there and my social media links. I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, My YouTube is just uh, YouTube.com slash Castellano, And uh, you can also go to BlueOysterCult.com to get... All of our tour dates. See when we're coming to a town near you. I'm going this weekend to Katy, Texas. And this is terrible. I don't know offhand where we're going. We're going to uh-huh. Katy, Texas. And we're going to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Whoa. Uh, um, yeah. So that's where you can find that. Also, look out for my upcoming musical that I'm working on. Uh, It should be done in about, you know seven or eight years at the rate I'm going
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: no well I I'm, I'm <laughs>
2: yeah
0: I'm looking forward to that and I, I car I'm, we're gonna put the links down below I encourage uh, everybody to check out his music he's super talented Uh even if we have to give a shout out to your dad's uh Uh, Yes. If you're in
1: Staten Island, if you're in Staten Island and you need a musical instrument, he'll love this. Please visit Castellown's House of Music with two convenient locations on Richmond Avenue and Highland Boulevard.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You have to check check it out because it's it's renowned. I mean, everybody uh, who has anything to do with music knows about the store. Um, And...
2: I'm, I'm gonna go there tell your dad some dad jokes
1: oh my god he'll tell you some too you, you're gonna you're, you're gonna leave there armed with lots of material if yes. you go there <laughs> but but half, you, of you, half of them you won't be able to tell on this show that's the only problem <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for being here James, and i are really excited that you know you came on to talk to us i hope you'll come yeah. back when oh yeah this is
1: so much fun anytime
0: when
2: it was great th- to talk to you and I get to know you and hear you. It's just great, it was just great. It was really. I great. want
1: ne- next time. I want boxing tips.
2: <laughs> I'm going to give you a few boxing tips. Good. Keep those well, hands up. <sighs> Keep the chin down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, when you finish, when when you're releasing your new album, your solo album, please come back and talk to us about that.
1: I would love that. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Bye, everybody.